maybe how sensitive that thing is, but it's picking up. Before we have retired the lights here, uh, practicing it. Well, and with my practice, I literally practice this recording. We're going. Hi, Lee. We're going to go. Ready? We're all ready. Okay. Uh, before I call the meeting to order, a bit of housekeeping. Um, for the record, the subject property of this evening has been posted. Joining property owners have been noticed. <clears throat> not only the agenda, but the, the agenda of the petition was not the petition. The summary of the petition was published in the newspaper, also was published on the Rock County website. And while typically it's outside the meeting room, I'm not sure that takes place here because we're really not in our normal meeting room. Uh, all documents that have been received 72 hours or prior are already made a part of this record, and the commissioners have actually had them. Um, for those that are attending by Zoom, do we have any, Sarah? Nope. That we're seeing? No. No, I hate when that happens. Whoops. No. Okay. So maybe and that we'll move on past that. Those that are attending here in person, obviously the petitioner and friend or someone. Son. Ah. Um, are here. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet, I'm assuming, someplace around. It's right there. I got them to sign. You signed in. Okay, we're good. Um, okay. Well, with that, then I would like to call to order the July 20th meeting of the Route County Planning Commission. Sarah, if you would be so kind. Hey, Steve Warnke. Yes. Brian Kelly. Yes. Andrew Benjamin. Here. Linda Miller. Here. Bill Norris. Here. Greg Yeager. Uh, Jim DeFrancia. Ben Martin. Here. Paul Weiss. I am. And Pete Wood. No, no, no. Okay. So for the record, we have a quorum. Um, first order of business is public comment. And what in this instance is public comment is reserved for those individuals in attendance who wish to address the planning commission on something other than the petition tonight. Seeing none and hearing none, we'll move on to the next item on the agenda, which is approval of minutes from June 29th, 2023. I'm assuming everybody has had an opportunity to read the minutes. Are there any corrections, deletions, additions, or what have you? And if there are none, Chair will entertain a motion. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. Brian, I'll second. second. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I'm assuming we're all in favor. So are, is anyone opposed? Hearing none, the motion is carried. The minutes are approved. Items for consideration. Before we start, for the benefit of the petitioner, kind of how we work this, not kind of, this is how we work it. We typically would ask the petitioner to address the commission and provide us a summary of what it is you would like to see or changing or the purpose of the petition. Thereafter, staff uh, will follow up with comments that they have regarding and specific to the petition. 
After that, the commissioners will be available and will likely be asking questions of either you, the petitioner, or staff. Then once that's concluded, we'll move right to public comment, which based on what I'm seeing will be a short-lived matter. And thereafter, the commissioners will, you know, discuss the petition and theoretically come to a conclusion. So one other comment. Um, for the record and in full disclosure, the petitioner and I um, are directors of the North Route Fire Protection District. I don't know if that causes anybody an ulcer. Um, I don't think it's influencing my thought process, but I just thought I need to disclose that. And unless someone has an issue, we'll move forward. You're all good. Thank you. Okay. Items for consideration. PL 20230044, Columbine Cabins, uh, special use permit amendment. Todd, you are up. And you may sit exactly where you're at unless you want to walk around and talk to us that way. Thank you. I will give you a site plan or something if you want to look at it. There you go. There is this one. Down here, there is this one. Whatever you do. That one's fine. You may have any questions. First of all, thank you for allowing me to, to come here and address you all. Uh, we've operated the Cabin's of the Combine for the last eight years as of June. Appreciated being part of the community, uh, especially the North Route community, and uh, continuing to try to preserve the historic nature of the property um, and give people an opportunity to come and enjoy it and recreate there. Um, it's been a bit of a challenge, uh, to say the least. We're continually looking to try to preserve the cabins improve them, make sure that they'll last uh, for another 120 years plus. Um, and so one of the struggles we're facing is everything costs more, uh, doing all the work there costs more, the people cost more. Um, so we were looking for other opportunities to, to add revenue streams in order to support the application of the business. And Benjamin and I and my wife had discussed the idea that people are interested in recreating in various ways, some of them not motorized, <laughs> trying to add an option where people could rent, excuse me, um, rent some side by side and go out and explore North Route National Forest. And so that's what we're to ask for. Um, we looked at it and trying to do it in a way which minimizes the impact to the neighborhood. We were first and foremost want to be good neighbors up there. Uh, we try to do everything in a way that doesn't impact others. Um, and so 
we wanted to do this in a way that would still allow people to, to get to the national forest. We have direct access across the county of 129 to Forest Road 480, which then transits up through private land and into the national forest. And that was the route in which we proposed that uh, our rentals would transit through the forest, will all be unguided. Um, and when we put this together, I, I knew that I didn't want to sell myself short. If there was a plenty of interest in doing this, we did ask for up to eight machines. We currently own two machines. Uh, and if approved, that's what we would begin with. And then we would have to reevaluate as to whether or not it was cost effective to add additional machines. Uh, we, we are largely interested in reaching our guest population that's already coming and staying and providing them an opportunity to rent these machines. But we would also have it open such that if someone from the general public was interested that we would be able to rent for them as well. Um, all the rentals would be done out of the parking lot that is directly adjacent to County Road 129 and behind the general store. They would leave from that parking lot, transit across the road, and then go back and check it in. We wanted to respect the private landowners along Forest Road 480, so we would require that our renters operate those machines at 15 miles an hour or less before they have passed through that private land, and then are in the national forest and so can operate the machines at home. Um, so that would be the, the out and the back end of the property here at Forest Road 480. Um, yeah, we have a kind of a layout of the property there, a, a parking area, and uh, mm -hmm. so I think that kind of addresses most of the topic. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Michael, you want to do it? Sure. So, um, as Todd was saying, this is an SUP amendment for the UTV rentals. Um, the Columbine office. I'll try to gloss over this history a little bit. It, Columbine was originally a mining camp, um, and some of their buildings date all the way back to that period. Um, there's an 11 acre town site, and over time, you know, the mining went away, the captains were constructed, and they were rentals and became illegal not permanent use. Um, the property is currently in an SUP, initially going back to 1994, that permitted the site as a recreational resort. Um, and it has a water and wastewater system now, and then some more recent permits from 2018 to 2019 created um, a dining and tent area for special events. Um, and so the proposed operation in this case is to add the existing use of UTVs for embedded rentals. As Todd noted, they'd be open to the public. Um, mostly, it would be mostly cabin renters that would use them, but that would be a restriction one way or the other. Um, they would have unguided half of public use, rental hours at 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. For operational purposes, but we permit them from eight to six for flexibility in case people you know, leave a few minutes early or come back a few minutes late. Um, and it could be seven days a week, generally between June 15th to October 31st. Um, the members um, would be using 490, which means they would cross 129, which this property is directly across the 129 from to get to Forest Service 
third, fourth row, 490. Um, and they would have a mass cast of 64 people, but 30 to 45 is their typical expected um, situation. Um, the, as far as impacts go, they are proposing the restriction of the two miles an hour on 490 because there are residential properties along 490. Um, UTVs would not be kept at cabins, so people wouldn't be driving the UTVs all around the property, you know, at all times of the day. They'd be kept at the parking lot. Um, the additional parking impacts of this use are anticipated to just be anyone who's not renting a cabin because if they're in a cabin already, they can just walk from their cabin to this parking lot. Um, staff is recommending some visual mitigation due to the increased usage of the parking lot, uh, considering how close it is to 129. Um, at the time this PowerPoint was done, there was one public comment that was concerned about UTD renters trespassing the adjacent property by accident. Um, and so Todd indicated that they would get paper maps and electronic GPS tablets. They would not be operated from the historic town site whatsoever. He's adding a page to the cabin handbook in each cabin identifying the property boundaries adjacent to private land um, and natural forest access um, adjacent to the Columbine town site. Um, and the UTVs would not be operated in that national forest, um, but it would be shown on the map kind of where it is so people kind of know what land they can and can't walk onto. Um, we've received some additional public comments since then. Um, one was that there were there, the, this initial one was mainly concerned about certain impacts, but didn't say whether it was they were for or against it. We received two that were uh, somewhat negative and not wanting the additional impacts in the community. And then we received one uh, a few hours ago that was positive and just saying that they don't believe it's going to cause any additional impacts. If you want, because um, we've all received all of those by human, but you might not have received that most, you might not have read the most recent one. I'd be happy to read it to you guys if you'd like. Why don't you? Long as we have right. Let me pull that up. Did you say that there was one that was turned about the neutral that was the, the initial one was asking just concerns about trespass and okay. not otherwise saying that it was a problem per se. And, so and did we see that one? Yeah, I don't remember that one. You've I don't seen, either. I might have sent it. Um, we had an older mailing list, so I think it went to all the planning commission numbers. It might not have gone to you. Okay. Um, so I can forward that. But this most recent one is um, Mr. Wardis and his wife, Linda Wright. They own property directly adjacent and above the cabins and share a boundary line. And they said, in regards to the cabins, the side by sides that have access to the National Forest via Forest Road 490, we wish to assure you we are not opposed to this addition to their specialty permit. Um, so one one comment in support. Um, let's see. And so this is their this, this is their mitigation plan that they have proposed for visual mitigation. Um, initially, it's they are proposing large flower pots with flowers and plants, and then some rocks along the edge. Um, here's some site photos that show the area. So this is looking across 129 Forest Service Road 490 is across the street there. Um, and so they'd be coming right in front of the current uh, general store. This is looking south from the parking lot. Um, this is 129 here. Um, this is kind of where the landscaping would be going between the edge of the parking lot and the road. Um, this is looking from the road to the parking lot. And so this parking lot already exists and it actually was noted in the staff report from 2019 for their most recent expansion. At one time they had kind of difficulties with parking for larger events and this because of this parking lot, they now have plenty of parking. 
Um, so the additional eight ETVs and potential additional parked cars are not necessarily considered a big issue. Um, and then you can see the town site from the parking lot here. So that is about all I have for you guys as far as the presentation. Do you guys have any questions for me? Sure. Four servers did not respond. I have, no, I did not get any comments from them. Would they? Mm -hmm. Would they normally? We, we receive comments from them a lot of the time. Yep. And what about CPW? No comments from them. I don't remember if they were, I don't think they were a, a referral on this one because there's no additional land being developed or anything. It's, it's just, it's an additional use within the town site that goes off site. Okay. 490 only goes, in essence, due east around the river basin. It, there's no spur going north up towards. Uh, uh, you know, it, it turns, uh, there's two options. You can go north on uh, 418 and then 413. So you can get to the northern trail system that actually follows. 490 to 418, then 413, it drops you in the new parking lot that was built for snowmobile parking. So they have an option to go that direction. You can go continue around the backside of Hans Peak, which drops you into Beaver Basin, or you can drop into the back of Hans Peak Village via 410. So there's, they can access everything to the east and north. Okay. What's your experience been, Todd, in terms of your guests paying attention to the rules? <laughs> I mean, in general. Yeah, I'm not, it's not a trick question. I'm just going to. No, I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're fairly rule oriented. I've often said I could make a sign for everything. Um, but I think, in general, people are respectful of. You know the rules that we provide. Right. Uh, obviously, this is a new area of experience uh, in renting under protective equipment, but there was there's a substantial waiver that they have to read and agree to and assign, uh, you know, sign as part of it. Um, in my experience, some people follow the rules and some people don't. <laughs> you know. Well, yes, I mean, obviously, the question. Is probably focused on the 15 mile an hour speed limit, which I think is the appropriate step. It makes some sense. And I, you know, we will have a satellite tracker as part of this thing. I was wondering about uh, that because we need to know where the machine is if somebody breaks down or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, and you know that that initial stretch of 490 while you're in the private land. The noise carries pretty well, so you can kind of tell them. I mean, we hear trucks, we hear dirt bikes, we hear all kinds of stuff go up that road. I mean, there's, I would say, anywhere from 30 to 50 vehicles transit that road every day in the summer because they're going to Icon's Peak and, you know, explore up there. So I don't think it's going to be too hard to, to know where the road is. Um, the other question that was an item for discussion was the landscaping. Mm -hmm. Comments, commissioners, about that? Anybody? Good idea. 
Well, my I guess I have a question is, did you look into just planting trees? Because I think initially that's what was proposed, if I recall. Yeah, an earlier document does have um, proposed rock structure insurance for shrub mass and trees, but this is the official um, landscaping plan as submitted as a type of document. Right. So our concern is uh, if, if you happen to be up in North Carolina over this past winter, there was about 12 feet of snow on the edge of that parking lot. And my concern is I have no place to put the snow other than to try to blow it over there. And whatever whatever trees, shrubs, whatever I put, they're going to be completely compacted in, in the snow. So that I just you know felt like that wasn't going to be a very wise choice. Um, and so this idea where I can move, you know, provide some. And the other part, I guess, in my view, is there's a bit of a marketing, you know, visual from the road that people have the ability to see that there's something going on there other than just part of the But I don't want to, I don't want to put trees into the point that no one can see the park around either. I guess would be my personal kind of like subtle signage exactly. is what I'm hearing. I think in general that space can be difficult for trees to really take hold and survive over time. I'm not debating, I'm just kind of curious. Um, and I think he is right. Well, you probably don't want to gauge you don't want to gauge it totally on this year because I think this year was somewhat of an exception, but by the same token, if that's where you push it, that's where you push it. Yeah. Yeah, there's really you know, it's, it's between the, the plow edge of the road and the edge of that parking lot. We try to keep that parking lot completely open in the wintertime. There's plenty of people that come up and use that part of the ski. I have people that bring the wheelchairs. I need to try to keep it as open as I can. Who else is running side by side? Is is the roadhouse or see the lake out for um I have three machines and they're as far as I understand they're only not the property to guide they have the permit with the four trees and they are only guiding the Colorado sled rentals I believe does come guided uh I think they they possibly give their renters a trailer and then they trailer them and so they have a trailer them up to the parking lot. Um, they do do that. And then I don't know where Thunderstruck's I guess we're supposed to know where Thunderstruck <laughs> is somehow. Or at least staff is supposed to know where they're at. Uh, we shouldn't go there. Okay, we're not going to go there. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. How challenging is or was the insurance component? Uh, we, yes, I just renewed our policy and we have discussed it with them and it wasn't, um, it wasn't over those costs. Does your policy require that you wear helmets? I don't think the policy requires it. We are going to require it here. Yeah, in the waiver, it requires them to 
it doesn't require them to wear a helmet, but it says you wear a helmet the whole time. It's not something they assigned for, we added as a signature, but it's under there of the time. Any other questions or comments? Bill? Uh, more, Todd. Uh, will these be used for hunting at all? Possible. It's possible that there would be a, you know, a hunting group that could ask for that. That's why I kind of gave it out to October 31st as an option. Um, and then, but, then, yeah, that, that's easy. But the other one, too, all the letters said something about you're going to have snow machines, snowmobiles there. It just says side by side, it's the most snow machines, right? We are not asking for snowmobiles. That was like, that's what I thought about. Where did they hear that from? But it's amazing when things are started. Yeah. Other comments or questions for either staff or the petitioner? Hearing none for the time being, I'm going to open up the public comment. Sarah, one more time. Is there anybody on Zoom that I'm not seeing or not aware of? Nobody's over Zoom. Okay. Well, seeing none, I'll close the public comment portion of the evening. Um, one more time, commissioners, are you okay with the mitigation from a visible the the plow, the planters? I guess is really what I want to say. I know there was some comment from staff about a more permanent solution, and I'm not sure where staff was going with that, but I'm sure they're going to tell us in a minute. It's mainly, you know, the as Todd is saying, you know, there's the one side of it, which is that permanent landscape could be destroyed. And then our concern is that non-permanent landscaping might not be as readily installed or might not do as good of a job uh, mitigating the visual impact. So it's it, given given that Todd has explained the, the the tightness of that particular part of the site, it's, it's a we're we're wondering if you guys have any direction as to whether or not their mitigation plan is, is adequate as proposed, or if you would like to suggest that they work with staff to come up with something a bit more robust with any particular aspects that you're thinking of. Well, with low standards to hold people accountable to. I believe that any effort should be appreciated and um, there's no really teeth to it. So that's a hard one for us. Well, and not only that, I mean, the obvious question was, well, I'm for permanent trees, put spruces in there, but I think it's, that's, I get it. That's silly. You know, the space doesn't. No, I don't know silly. So go explain it to me. The space isn't, you'll just destroy things through plowing. Even in light years, everything gets dumped in that direction. Yeah. And in a lot of places, planting in right of ways is actually not allowed. So there's also that. Yeah, there is. Um, Although I don't know, would that be right away? There's still I think property. the historic nature of that particular site and its past use lends itself. Again, any type of mitigation effort I think could be appreciated. And gotcha. all we can do at this point is encourage until we strengthen our yeah. our deal up a little bit. And I'm not hearing that staff has this miraculous cure to fix uh, it. No, I mean, typically we would want to see um, more robust landscaping for visual mitigation, but we also have to consider the location of the site, historical use of the site, 
that's sort of unique and you know what are the actual alternatives and that's mm -hmm. not up to staff to decide and that's why we post it to you all do you feel that this um satisfies the visit a visual mitigation requirement my sense is based on the lack of discussion that probably satisfies everybody kind of I think, you know, if barrels were lined up along there, it actually could look nice and provide some visual interest, might catch people's eye, actually help kind of signify, like you said, that it's an out of business location. I'm fine with their efforts. Okay. And it seems like if you have something there, it also benefits you from the standpoint of anybody thinking they can just cut out of the parking lot. <laughs> and so it's a it's a visual reminder that they have to go out and use. But the rock wall is still in place, or the rock, whatever you want to call it. That doesn't change. It's just that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is part of the whole. Okay. Silence is deafening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the commissioners are comfortable with the petitioner's plan for planters. And therein lies the end of that discussion item, I believe. Yeah, great. Okay. So, any other questions or matters of concern from the commissioners to either, again, the petitioner or staff? My main concern with this application is the unguided aspect of it. You just can't control people. And I know you have the best of intentions, but I read the both letters and heard the third one today, but it's just you're going to have a certain number of people that you can put whatever you want on paper, but they're like you just said earlier, they're going to do what they're going to do at some point. And I'd be a lot more comfortable with this application if they were guided as opposed to unguided. So that's my personal reaction to it. And I, I just get the feeling from weeks ago with the feedback we got from Lance Peak, which was a different situation entirely. That the permanent residents of North Rao are feeling a little bit put on by the operations out there. The people that move there for peace and tranquility, or whatever they move there for, that the all the machines out there that are riding around interfere with that living experience of the permanent residents. So that's my concern. I don't know how you mitigate it other than to have guided deal so people don't do whatever they may feel like doing on that particular day. I think the 50 mile an hour uh, program is a good thought. I have quite honestly little faith that they'll pay a lot of attention to it passing forward. So those, that's my reaction to just watching people in general. I think the only issue that, and I, you know, you make a case for that and it makes some sense, but I also, I guess, the problem that I always have is why do you penalize an operator in the balance of the world has the right to rent a machine or own a machine and go up there and do what they want to do on an unguided basis all day long? Absolutely. And I just don't, how do you fix that? Other than my response to that would be people that tend to own their own machines have typically had more experience with oh somebody <laughs> somebody might leave a machine at home. I get that. And I own an ATV. 
but in any event, as opposed to someone that may use one less frequently, would probably be your main offense. Personal opinion, most people that, uh, and some observation, most people that have used it for a while tend to get the rules of the road. It is, you know, because they do them, whether it's a snowmobile or an ATV. So, but once again, that's my personal opinion. Gotcha. Yeah. Other comments? Yeah, I kind of echo some of Ryan's concerns. I think we're reaching a point in recreation where our facilities definitely can't handle the traffic and the land is starting to feel a little bit of pressure there. I don't know how you penalize this, you know, a particular applicant just because they're coming to the table at this point. Um, so I think it's important that we recognize the concerns of the local citizens around there. We do have enforcement options and capabilities if there happens to be some trouble through our complaint system. Um, so in general, I think I'd be willing to support the proposal um, as it stands. Okay. Anyone else? Pro or con? Pro. Pro. Linda? Pro. <laughs> Ren? Yeah. Ryan, I don't know where you're at yet. Oh, oh you're gone. Okay. Andy, I don't know where you're at. You're okay. Yeah. Okay. I, again, you give them the chance to perform. Yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. Any complaints will go back to. They'll come back with us. Yeah. Um, I, 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 again, I get back to. I'm a little reluctant. I'd be reluctant to penalize. A petitioner that's actually willing to follow the law and actually probably do a little bit more than over and above. Um, whether or not he's the problem or not is another issue. I mean, his guests are the issue typically. And I would think as a responsible owner, he'll do what he can absolutely to make it work right. So, were horses ever rented to, to clients off the property? Horses? Yeah, like pack animals. No. Not even historically. I mean, not that I'm aware of. Yeah. The only the only horse I ever was SLO, and that still goes down, but they're not up there. And that's guided. Yes. yes. Just more kind of like the old historical views <laughs> of how it's changed. <laughs> you know. Yeah, they got engines now. Mules. Little mules. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm not hearing any more discussion, so with that thought in mind, perhaps there might be a motion available. Mr. Chair. Yes, sir. To approve the uh, SCP for uh, Columbine Cabins, number PL2023004, with the uh, finding back one is written, dental conditions one through 13 has written, and specific conditions 14 through 25. We have a motion. Might there be a second? Second. Thank you, Paul. We have a motion and a second. Any um, discussion on the motion as presented? And hearing none, all those in favor of recommending approving special use permit PL2023044 application, I meant to say. Uh, please signify by saying yes. 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 Opposed say no. Chair votes yes. Motion is carried.
Your next stop, I think, is Board of County Commissioners on the 1st of August. Thank you, sir. Good luck to you. Christy, you are up. It's short. We have a meeting scheduled next week. Next yes. Wednesday is an off night for the code update, um, module one. So, this is the work session for that prior to adoption, which we have not scheduled adoption yet. So, what you'll, you'll be seeing is about a 60% draft. Um, there's four sections. There is the intro, there is powers and duties, and most of that is your standard um, chapters you'll see in any code. Um, and then we have the solar, utility scale solar um, in there. And then uh, we also included the attempt of the overlay districts for the tier two and tier threes, which still needs a lot of work. Um, so the draft that you're seeing two, two, three overlays, how are you defining this geographic? That's we're, not, yeah, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're not, and that's part of the discussion uh, okay. that we'll be having. Um, so really the discussion is what you're going to see is the proposal for overlays, which is essentially another layer of zoning, um, for these growth areas in the county. Uh, we are considering pivoting and considering instead of overlays, new zone districts for those areas. Um, so what you'll be reading is the overlay and it's gonna be part of the discussion and get direction from you all of what you wanna see. Um, <clears throat> so keep that in mind. The agenda just got posted before this meeting and materials should have been uploaded to your, um, to your, uh, do your doodads. And <laughs> if not, then it will be done in the morning. I'm not sure if they um, were able to do that in time before the meeting. Um, so that is at six o'clock. Um, we will be feeding you good. Um, it will be definitely um, a lot of discussion between you and the uh, county commissioners, and you know we're looking for good dialogue and feedback and to get direction from you all. Uh, from a process standpoint, the idea will be keeping in mind this is about a 60% draft. Um, we did meet on a staff level with our county attorneys who have been part of this process. We met with design workshop yesterday. Um, yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> it was a long day yesterday. And so some of what you're seeing, three of the four chapters include uh, revisions from the meeting yesterday. Um, the overlays do not include our discussions, basically what I just um, informed you all of, because we wouldn't have had time to have that ready for the discussions. So we wanted to at least have something for you to um, to digest and then have that conversation when you read it. Um, so with that being said, once we meet with you all and we get your comments, we would make those edits, put it out to the public for public comment on the draft. And then we would take those public comments and um, we would make I don't expect many public comments, more so I would expect 
comments from our involved interested agencies like CPW, as an example, um, specifically on the solar stuff. Sure. And we would bring that back to you for an adoption hearing where we would summarize the comments and how we addressed them in there and also addressed all of your comments. Um, and if we felt we weren't ready, it doesn't have to be adopted, but we would have the, uh, the option to adopt it as the final draft. So um, as we all know, it's an aggressive timeline. You'll also keep in mind that this is the rolling adoption that we opted to do. So this, you do essentially get two more cracks at this section. Um, so it may not be perfect. There are things that we could note that you know we have more time to tweak things that we realize as we put it to the test if we're realizing, hey, we should have considered this or maybe we need to tweak this section, um, we would be able to um, make those changes along the way because the last adoption will have to readopt everything anyway. So, um, you know, there's pros and cons to how we're doing it this way, but, um, you know, being that we needed to prioritize solar, we included the overlays in this district because we know it's going to need a lot of work and it may not be ready for adoption, right? But at least we're starting to talk about it and we'll all start to, we'll start to connect the dots. Is there a possibility for something like Overlays mm -hmm. for the tier twos, but then like standards yeah. for the tier threes. That's, that's, like it's not, that's that my be, thought. It doesn't have to be an either or. It, exactly. Okay. And so right now they propose to us design workshop that is after we've been talking about this overlays for everything. I don't think overlays will work for tier three, <clears throat> um, but we're going to talk through that. And then uh, discussing those options with design workshop yesterday. You know, their recommendation is it's usually you want to consider either or. You don't want to do overlays for just the tier two mm -hmm. and um, standards for the other, uh, for the tier three. You probably want to do either all standards, like new zone districts, or all overlays. Mm -hmm. But but I kind of, I'm in agreement with you. I think that you can, because I think it's a unique situation. I think tier threes are their own little animal um, that, you know, I think it's appropriate to consider a new zone district for our historically developed communities um, with specific standards. Mm -hmm. I, in my opinion, I don't think we can geographically um, define those areas, and I don't know if we. I think you get so much pushback. I think you would want to have that flexibility and discretion. That if there was a good application that came before you, say, right next to the Clark store, for example, or maybe up the road a little bit one yeah. way or the other, but it may not be what you would consider Clark. Yeah. <laughs> but if it met the criteria, which in a tier three, it's, it's supposed to be a small scale development that supports the community. You make that determination, you know, right. is this um, gonna support community housing for the locals, you know, and, and, some, and those are the kinds of standards that I'm envisioning we can adopt for those tier three areas. So, but if you did, if you tried to do an overlay, the standards are still there anyway. I mean, yeah, but an overlay implies a geographic boundary that is going to be hard to define around something like Clark. Oh, yeah. Overlays yeah. are 
spot zoning. Kind of. Well, it's not exactly it, but it sort of is. It can vary. Overlays, I mean, we have an existing overlay we almost never use, which is around the airport right now. You'll see that in this. Um, that's a true overlay. Um, you have height restrictions and things like that next to an airport for obvious reasons. You'll see in the tier Tier twos, like for stagecoach, um, actually for all of the overlays, they bring in residential um, standards that get down to be as detailed as architectural from porches on everything, as an example. Or it could be, you know, in the other direction, more of type type uses, like um, no connex boxes, or you know, you you can kind of put bookends on uses and areas in an overlay, but it's really, do we want to go there or not, right? Yeah. And and in my opinion, for Stagecoach, I don't think we should be really messing with the residential stuff because the underlying zoning in Stagecoach already supports higher density zoning. I can understand that for West Steamboat, as an example, where the underlying zoning is AF, so you can't even do a high density uh, development there if we had one uh, because the zoning doesn't allow for it. So an overlay would be appropriate there if that is something we want to do, which West Steamboat, Stagecoach, and Hayden, as you recall, are areas that are for targeted growth in the county. Those are areas we're saying are appropriate for development. It's what the county can do um for from a development standpoint and by doing that being very purposeful of where we want to see development we are preserving our open spaces and, and such so keeping that in mind um, when you read the draft the overlays are all essentially the same um, in those areas um, i think for stagecoach at a minimum the residential stuff should come out and we should be focusing on uses that normally wouldn't be allowed elsewhere in the county. We don't want elsewhere in the county, such as a recreation-oriented development, right? Yeah. That's something you probably don't want to see out in the county outside of, we already have a rec facility definition, which we need to work on, right? That's down right. But that's different from the definition of a recreation-oriented development, like a resort right. um, recreation. <clears throat> Doesn't, and that, doesn't the PUD process kind of handle those types of challenges? That's or? how we have always handled things that mm -hmm. don't make sense, but that's not good zoning. It's not good planning. I mean, that has been the county's answer just to slap a PUD on everything. And But there's not that many PUDs out there, are there? There are. There's way too many. Uh, almost almost yeah. any are too many. If you think of any use that's out there, that is outside of like pure residential, pure whatever. Just residential, yeah. it's more than likely a beauty. Mm -hmm. And then that's very site specific. That's spot zone. That's spot that's, yeah. Yeah. And but it gives you so this you way we're like perfectly, you know, through our master plan, we're basically saying we have said, you know, developments appropriate in certain areas. We have established specific uses that could be appropriate, but this is where we define that, put yeah, okay. the on it. Yeah, it's interesting concept to, to try and maybe direct things in the future versus allowing them to come to you and reacting 
Yeah. Against them. But it's only still an advisory document. No, but it, but if you if you do an overlay, like implements yeah, the code and that's not advisory. The code is booms. Yeah. Code has teeth. But an overlay isn't code in my head. No, it, it's like it's kind of like a layer of zoning over a zone. So it's right. got it's got a dimensional component to it, but it's like it's like if you were to click on a parcel, are you just clicking on the zone below it, or is there another layer that you're also clicking on? If that makes case, exceptions to that zone, if you will. And so, in a lot of cases, like for example, um, historic, like large cities that are historic, might have historic overlays in certain areas where they tell you what materials you can use to like resize your house and whatnot. And so, like that's the, like typically what you would see, like for historic district, that okay. would be. Okay. And that can be, and if you think about how that gets applied, obviously we might not have anything like that in terms of standards, but the operation of it is, is what's in question. So in statehood, for example, we might want a particular look and feel, or maybe we want certain uses that we don't otherwise allow generally. Mixed so, uses, um, which we- Like live work units yeah, or something yeah, like that. Like um, if you were to see um, commercial on the bottom and residential <laughs> on top, those are uses we're probably not going to see out there in the county elsewhere, but maybe it's appropriate in our tiered areas. Interesting. <clears throat> those are just some examples. So when you read it, it will make sense. The memo will explain it. And then um, as you read through it, it, there's purpose statements for each section of what we're trying to accomplish. And then everything you read after that, like performance standards are how we are proposing to get, get there. there. Yeah. Okay. So, so you don't tend to define these overlays definitively. We, right? we do for the tier two areas, they are defined. And you'll okay. see that in there geographically, they're defined of what those areas are. Um, the tier three are not. And we deliberately did that in the master plan. Initially, um, we were being purposeful about that to allow that flexibility, right? Because those areas, you know, um, we may or may not agree with what is clear, right? <laughs> I mean, so that's just, I think, the best example of why we didn't do a ge geographic um, boundary around tier three. So when you read the language um, and the definition for tier three, it does make sense. And, um, and I think it could be done through standards and allowed uses in those areas. So you'll just say like Clark, <laughs> that job. Yeah. And then it would be up to the, like, put it this way, like, as of right now, um, it, it's kind of a good, bad example, but, um, <laughs> but so Toponis is a tier three, right? But there's really no, um, there's really nothing in Toponis, right? Okay. Except where there's infrastructure, but it used to be a historic, it was booming back in the day, right? Um, and we have the gas station that was there and we had a really hard time. This is a great example of, of where we were kind of stuck. This is an old non-conforming use, but it's always been there, right? There's always been some store there, but they weren't able to expand. We had to really propose an argument to support the expansion of that store. But if somebody new came in, and wanted to build a store into Ponis, say that wasn't there, 
our master plan, our old master plan, did not support a store from being there. Our regulations, there was no way to process it because it's all zoned AF. But I think we can all agree who anybody who has been to that store, I mean, it's an appropriate use for that area. And the way it's written for a tier three is our uses that can support, you know, the locals and the community. But a hotel going in, you know, like a Marriott, you know, it's something that I'm sure would not be approved because it wouldn't meet that that criteria. It's not or a Costco or or Costco. Yeah, well, just, any of that. I think it has to be a small scale and like the standards, and that that's like as you're reading the tier threes, keep that in mind. That's what we're trying to accomplish to prevent a Costco from coming in, but something like. Um, uh, a smaller scale retail or establishment. Context and scale. scale. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, those context and scale historical patterns, yes. those become more inherent to the discussion and, and what expands from there yeah. versus like a new use coming in. Yeah. Like, will, will that help with Hans Peak a little bit? Like, so I mean that's that's a tier three also, so, but I also think we need to consider separating. They're all considered tier three, but the difference between Hans Peak, Milner, and Peabird are they have historically platted lots, yeah. right, in higher densities, and there is some level of infrastructure in all of them. Three water and sewer. <laughs> yeah, that's what you could basically what I was saying. Yeah, like a three and a half. Yeah, <laughs> whereas Clark and Dakota are are considered tier three, but they're a different level, right? Sure, so right. But yeah. that's where standards would come in. Yeah, that don't have to be defined geographically. Yeah, because yeah. you're not dealing with platted lots in either one of those. Exactly. Exactly. I think context becomes a big part of that absolutely. Discussion. Well, and then it becomes a judgment call, and that's what you guys are for. Yeah. <laughs> so I was wrong on being quick about that. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, if anything comes up when you read it, um, and if you have questions, just reach out to me. Um, and I will, um, when I know what some of the questions will be specifically, we're putting together the presentation, and I should have that on Monday. I can shoot you guys an email just so you're prepared for the kinds of things where people can get out of you. Are we, are we meeting here or there? We're going to be all sharing elbows in here. here. So that room was supposed to be ready and ready. However, I don't know if anybody has walked by, but there is a 96 inch TV that is going to go on the wall. Nice. I didn't even like visualize what that like that yeah, really. what that is. It's eight feet long. It's eight feet. It's huge. Yeah. Oh. And there's three TVs all together. One's 96 and the other it's, one's I don't know what that's the diagonal. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. I was like, I thought it was a table. Like, and then I like looked again, they're like, there's a TV. And I was like, what? And I looked at the box and I'm like, that is ridiculous. Was it on? No. It's okay. just sitting on the floor. They need to upgrade the amperage of the yeah. service to the building the power. So we'll be in here um, and then we'll get some sort of gauge on, you know, obviously it's a public meeting. <clears throat> Typically, um, we haven't had too much participation yet except for stagecoach. So, but you just never know when it comes to this kind of stuff. Usually it's adopted hearings is when like, people come out of the way. So, 
On that note, I think we are adjourned. Are you done? Yes, I oh, okay. do. Do you think we have a first meeting? Um, what's that August date? That would be our first schedule. Did you uh, schedule on the first? Yeah, I'm not here in any case, so okay. I would be. I don't think we have anything on the books yet, but I'll confirm that when I follow up with you guys early next week. And if there is meeting, I'm not here, so I do okay. that one from the recording because I'm actually on the third. On the third. Yes. Thank you.